as we walk through Psalm 90 together. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Lord, the mountains were brought forth. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Glory be to God and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. And the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you have given exceedingly great and precious promises to those who trust in you. Dispel from us the works of darkness. Grant us to live in the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, that our faith may never be found wanting through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our first reading for this Sunday as the church here continues to wind down is from Zephaniah in the first chapter. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guests. And on the day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. On that day, declares the Lord, a cry will be heard from the fish gate, a wail from the second quarter, a loud crash from the hills. Wail, O inhabitants of the mortar. For all the traders are no more, all who weigh out silver are cut off. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid to waste. Though they build houses, they shall not inhabit them. Though they plant vineyards, they shall not drink wine from them. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud there. A day of wrath is that day a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, 
a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the fifth chapter. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. This is the word of the Lord. I invite you to rise for the gospel. From Matthew's gospel, we continue on in the 25th chapter. For it, the kingdom of heaven, will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents and made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So... Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, 
Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. And I invite our young. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, You've gathered us together once again into your house as your people to hear your word, to receive your gifts, to hear forgiveness spoken into our ears, and to be lifted up by your spirit. We pray move distractions from our hearts and minds as we rest in the promise of life that you have given us through your son. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in the second of our third last Sundays before the end of the church year. Here we are watching everything kind of wind down, and you can hear it in those scripture readings. You can hear those Old Testament prophets pointing to the wrath of God. You can hear Paul in the Thessalonians text lifting up those in the church after Jesus as he says, you are people of the day. Rest in that promise that God has given you in that light. And so we stay awake. And we watch, and we listen, and we look forward to that coming of God. It'll be like nothing else anybody else has ever experienced. And as we watch these weekends wind down, we continue to walk through the parables of Christ in Matthew 25. So last week, we had the parable of the ten virgins, and we focused in quite heavily on who was ready and who was not, and how they were prepared, and where their light came from, and we got to see a lot from their end and not as much about the bridegroom that was coming. But right on the heels of that parable is the next parable that Jesus tells right in the same conversation, and it's the parable of the ten talents. And like last week where we had a piece of artwork to walk through, I found another one for this one. And this was really interesting to me. If you go to search out art for the parable of the ten talents, nine out of ten of them are going to have a guy digging in the ground just what it is. I mean, so many folks have written about or drawn about or painted about the actions of those servants, and very few of them actually focus on who the master is. It's pretty easy to do coming out of this parable. There's a lot of words that talk about the actions of the servants and what was given to the servants and what the servants did and what the servants returned and the one that didn't do anything. And so, looking for something that wa I wanted to show something of a bit of a different perspective. Because these two parables back to back seem to complement one another in a way to where the other focused on those who needed to be ready. And this one focuses quite heavily on who the master is if you're looking for it. And like with any piece of artwork, it's a perspective. The artwork is in scripture. But let your eyes roll around this picture for a little bit here and and see what's there, right? It's a perspective on a word of God. It's highlighting something that stood out to Eugene Bernand. He was the artist of this, uh, born in the late 1800s, died around 1920. He was a Swiss artist, and I actually got his name right this week. The other guy didn't get his name right in the sermon, so I apologize. But beautiful work. He was a prolific artist. He actually did quite a few different scripture pieces. It's kind of interesting as you look at these. So we're going to look at a couple different pieces of this. First, we get the two kind of halves of the picture, right? We have the master, and then we have the servant. So let's focus in on those servants for a second. 
All right, so we have these three guys. Kind of interesting as you start to focus in on them. Look at the difference of their facial expressions. Look at the difference of their postures. Look at the difference of how they carry themselves. And think about what that body language says about the conversation that they're about to be in the middle of. I think you all can relate to that quite a bit, right? You go into certain conversations knowing who you're going to go talk to, and what you think about that person starts to translate in how you carry yourself going into that conversation. It's what we see in the Bible verses as well. We see two servants that uh, really listened and respected what the master had to say. We had another one that was looking at the master with a different perspective. But here they are. I don't know if the guy's scraggly beard has anything to do with what Eugene Bernand was thinking, but, you know, kind of portrays him that way. Look at the other two guys, though, uh, looking up, heads up, chins up. One guy might be questioning a little bit. He looks a little thoughtful there in the back, the clean-shaven guy. But the guy in the back, arms crossed, looking down. You can almost see a furrow on his brow and squinted eyes, right? So let's look at those first two guys. The two guys standing in front. Look at his hands in a position of service, hands in a position of giving, hands in a position of returning what was given to them. Standing upright, trusting in this one that they're having a conversation with, knowing who it is, who they are going to go talk to, and feeling like it's okay for them to be there. Right. Now I said the scriptures as well as this help us give a perspective on who the master is. How might this help us? Think through. Usually when you think of this parable, whose perspective usually shapes the master. It's the next guy, right? Let's go to that third guy, this guy. His are the words that we have about the master, right? We don't get words from the first two. We just get their actions in response to what he's given. And what does this guy call the master? I knew you were a hard, basically mean guy. You gathered where you scattered no seed. You reap where you do not sow. That's his perspective of the master, a wrathful master, an angry master. Does that line up with the actions that you've seen from the master so far? So let's walk back through the parable again here. The master is a guy who has quite a bit of wealth. He's going away for a while, and what's he do? He entrusts his wealth to his servants. And we hear the word talent. Let's walk through that for just a second. Old Testament talent, weight of measure, 75 pounds. <laughs> Whoa. All right. New Testament talent, a talent was a monetary measure. Okay. One talent was worth 6,000 denarii. A denarii was a day's wage. Whoa. One talent was 16 years worth of wages, 6,000 days worth of wages. One talent given to that guy, 16 years worth of wages. Would you like to be handed 16 years worth of your daily wage from when you worked? Yeah, that'd be all right, wouldn't it? So this master gives to three of his servants according to their ability. He gives to the first five talents, 80 years worth of wages. And hands them over to him and says, be responsible with these because I know your ability. I know who you are. I know what you've shown. I know 
who I have called into my presence to give to. I trust you with 80 years worth of your wages to hold on to it for me, do something with it while I'm gone, and we'll talk about it later. The other guy gives two talents, 32 years worth of wages. Not bad, right? Those first two guys, what was their perspective as they received those gifts? Did they hold on to it? They worked with it. All right, great. Why did they work with it? Because they knew it was somebody else's for the benefit of someone else. Okay? This guy, 16 years worth of wages handed to him. The master gave to him according to his ability. It was not pocket change that he handed this guy. It was, in comparison, less than the others, but it was still 16 years worth of wages. Plenty enough for any of you to live quite comfortably on for a while, right? He gave abundantly. He gave graciously. He gave knowing who it was that he was giving to. And even this one, the sourpuss of the group, right? The master still gave and said, here, I'm handing this to you. I'm handing this to you because I've called you into my work. I'm handing this to you because I trust you with it. Does that sound like a hard, ruthless master? No. That sounds like an amazingly gracious master. One who's given responsibility and expects something done with it, sure. But which one of your bosses at any point in time in life or even parents ever gave you something and expected you to do nothing with it or abuse it? None of them. They all trusted you with the responsibility that they've given you. And so here's the master in this parable giving out responsibility, trusting the ones that he's giving it to, and saying, I know exactly who you are, and I know what you can do. I know who I have raised you to be. I know who I've taught you to be. I know what expectation I've set upon you. And so here it is. Here's things that are beyond anything you could ever work on your own. Here is a gift to you while I go away so that you would be taken care of, so that you would know that I value Sometimes we're a little like this guy, though. Anybody ever give you anything that you took and said, yeah, it's not worth anything? I mean, come on, a sweater from Grandma? A car? A lunch? Any sort of gift given, right? <clears throat> that you take and you say, well, I'm sure somebody else is going to value that, but I'm not going to value that. That's going to go collect dust on your shelf going to sit in the back of the closet. I'll hold on to it for three or four years, and then I'll re-gift it. Right? There's those things that come into our lives that maybe we don't value all that much, but the one that gave it, gave it in so much love, gave it with so much care and so much thought. That's what God has given you. Before we even get to Jesus, that's what God has given you. Everybody take a breath real quick. There you go. There's a gift from God. You feel your heartbeat? You hear sounds in your ears? Gifts.
beautiful gifts given every single day, moments in time that you get to spend with one another, with loved ones that are in other places, responsibilities given through work and ability to work and put your gifts to use for the benefits of others, gifts given by a master who trusts you because he knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what he's given you to be able to do. He knows exactly your character. He knows exactly your thoughts. He knows exactly your words. He knows exactly who you are. And he hands you over gifts for your good and for the good of others. Gifts that are not there to abuse or take lightly. Gifts that are not there to bury in the ground. Gifts that are not there to do any of those sorts of things. See, he's a wonderful master. Now, we hear the master's response, right? We hear this master's response, and we usually take it as fact. We say, you know, because anytime you read text, you've got to kind of put your own tone into it. We didn't get to hear the original author. We didn't get to hear Jesus say it right from his lips. It'd be really fun uh, when Christ comes back to say, would you repeat for me, everything you said to the disciples when you were on earth. Because I want to hear it from your own lips. I want to hear the way you expressed it. I want to hear the tone and the pitch. I want to hear the volume. I want to hear it come from your voice. Does it come from a place of judgment? Does it come from a place of encouragement? Does it come from a place of love and care? Or are you mad at us? Right? We don't get that from paper. Same way you don't get it from a text or you don't get it from an email, as much as you may type in all caps. Okay? But to be able to hear his words, and in my mind, I mean, this helped so much because the way that Bernan drew this master, first off with his hand on a dog's head, that's awesome. Does that sound like a cruel and ruthless man just sitting there with his hand on a dog, right? Isn't that cool? A little visual aspect to show character. I loved it. But to sit there, and you can almost imagine a questioning voice. You knew I was a man that reaped where I don't sow? Or gathered where I scattered no seed? Has anybody ever come to you with a perception of who you are and it totally caught you off guard? Yeah. You generally want to know why they thought that way, right? Now, for us, we're pretty broken, and there's certainly opportunities for folks to catch that in a moment or a glimpse or a word that's spoken in the wrong way or something with a look that we didn't intend, and we can then find out from someone that it just didn't land right. But we're talking about the master. We're talking about God here. Now, are, those, are there those in life, and maybe you've walked this road as well, where you start to question the master's character. Start to see the angry, wrathful, judgmental side of God. It's in Scripture. He does carry anger. He carries it perfectly. He does carry judgment. But why shouldn't he? He's the one outside of creation. He's the one that set it all into order. He does carry wrath. Yeah. He's given good gifts that have gotten abused. If there's anybody that's going to carry those things, it's certainly him, but is that the wholeness of his character? 
No, not at all. That is not the wholeness of his character at all because the wholeness of his character shows one who has been giving and gracious, one who has given gifts above and beyond anything that we can imagine, things that we may take for granted from time to time, but gifts that are there in our lives to be able to be shared with others. And then one of the most beautiful gifts that he's given is actually drawing you into his presence, making you righteous to be in his presence by a gift, by his son. It's interesting to see gifts that are buried into the ground in this parable and then also think of Christ for just a second, buried into the ground by the creation that was supposed to receive him. Talk about an abuse of a gift. He didn't stay there. He did get returned back. Not just to give to the master, but to give to you. Alive. Walking around once again to say, I know, I know you buried me in the ground. I'm back. And I forgive you. I forgive you and I want you to enjoy the presence of the master. And so I'm going to walk along with you and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to continue to give of you more gifts. In fact, when I go to sit at the right hand of the master, I'm going to give of you the Holy Spirit so that you would know every single day the places that I would want to take you and the people that I would have you go serve and the ways in which I would have you care for others. And in that, you will find the joy of the master because in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, and in the Father, all three as one working together as that beautiful trinity that they are, we start to see the fullness of who the master is in the midst of this. And the master will return. Absolutely. God has promised to come back. Haven't seen him yet, but he will. It's not going to be secret or silent. He will come back in glory. He will come back with the trumpet sound. He will come back and return, and there will be a day of judgment. Yet there's going to be those that we will talk about next week who are there with the gifts of God abounding, and they walk up and may not even know that they've done anything with them because they've just been sharing them. They've been living in the gifts of that abundance that God has given. And there's others that are going to say, we didn't even know you gave us anything. In fact, we thought it might be something from you, but we kind of tossed it aside to look to our own. But standing in front of both those groups will be the master. I hope he shows up with a dog next to his side. That would be great. But standing there before his people, seeing the gifts that he has shared, that gift of faith that he has given you, to rest in his promises of one who trusts you as his creation, to carry the gifts that he has given you, to share with others so that they would know of the same trusting master, the same loving master, the same one who died for you and is risen for you and who has forgiven you, to give you hearts that can rest in the joy of the master's presence. That presence that you get gathered here into his presence. That presence that you get his, when his word spoken into your ear. That presence of God handed over to you freely and graciously every single day. That's the joy you get to live with. Knowing that he has called you into his presence and he has done everything necessary for you to be in that presence. Worth way more than 16 years worth of wages, 32 years worth of wages, or 80 years worth of wages. No, he's given you eternity. Eternity in the loving presence of the master. 
And so we look forward to that day where he returns and we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. For now, you get a little bit of that joy. Imagine what it will be like in its fullness. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving to us in ways that we don't deserve. We pray that you would also guide us to live within those gifts and share those gifts to your glory and for the good of our neighbor. We look forward to the day that you return. We pray that you would guard us and keep us until that day by your spirit and lead us in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise.